most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Tuesday, February 22nd, 2022, the 398th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. So it's Tuesday, 2-2-2-2-2 for people out there who like hearing the same number over and over again. And apparently, if you're into astrology, Pluto has returned to the same position it was in on July 4th, 1776, I am told, by people who pay attention to that sort of thing. Me, as someone who does not pay a whole lot of attention to that sort of thing, thinks, okay, well, that's interesting, but what happens if we do not declare our independence today? Is it just Tuesday at that point? So I don't know. Hey, I'm open to all the possibilities, just like always. I want to start today briefly where I've started the last two podcast episodes, which is in our formerly friendly neighbors to the north who have now been overwhelmed by the presence of a global communist dictatorship as the prime minister of Canada, Castro's bastard, Justin Snow, and his Deputy Prime Minister Christia Friedland, both of the World Economic Forum, have taken completely undue powers and plan to hold them indefinitely so that they can enforce state violence and control on their own citizenry for as long as they want. The Canadian Parliament last night voted on whether or not to allow the Emergencies Act to remain in effect or to be in effect at all in a legal sense. And good news for the communists up there. There are enough communists in the Parliament of Canada that they were able to enact this step of the global communist agenda and pass the measure by a vote of 185 to 151. And that's obviously terrible, not only for what it portends for the Canadian people, but also what it portends for the United States, as we are still under emergency conditions for the COVID-19 very deadly pandemic. And Joe Biden has requested an extension on the national emergency so that he too can use extra constitutional powers to do whatever he likes. Thank goodness he is 
so incredibly incompetent. Now, I got an update on the situation in Canada last night from a friend of mine who's connected to some people and some activists who are working on that situation up there. I cannot verify any of this because I am not an expert in the Canadian Constitution. But here is what was communicated, and I'll just give it to you, and you can use it as you wish. Retreat and regroup happening. They're doing what I explained yesterday and staying within legal parameters for the overreach. It's disgusting, but they are still standing on legal ground. Here is the reality. It's tricky, and they know exactly what they are doing. This defines a watershed moment. This is either going to go one way or the other. This also defines the circumstances under which revolutions occur and why. Emergency Act passed. This is the process. First, the declaration made by the government must be laid before both houses of parliament. Now that it is passed in the House of Commons, it will go to the Senate. Next, the declaration of a public order emergency, if confirmed, will be valid for a maximum of 30 days since it was issued. Then, if the government were to consider that the declaration should be renewed, the same process would have to be followed. Once again, along with the House of Commons, the Senate would play a vital role in deciding whether to authorize a continuation of the declaration and in overseeing the situation. Third, at any time, the current declaration, if confirmed, can be revoked by a vote of either chamber of parliament. Fourth, regulations made pursuant to the Emergencies Act must be tabled in both chambers and can be revoked by votes of both chambers acting together. Fifth, a special joint committee of senators and members of parliament will be set up to monitor the measures taken by government, including any orders or regulations not made public, and will have to report periodically to both houses of parliament. The act establishes significant parliamentary and judicial safeguards with respect to any application of emergency measures, theoretically anyway. This is where we are. So on some level, that sounds like a situation that remains in flux. But as we've seen here many times throughout this process, one would have to imagine that the Canadian Parliament and the Canadian Senate has some combination of committed global communists and people who are also committed global communists, but pretend to be in some way conservative, which is to say I have absolutely zero faith in the members of that government standing up to the communist dictatorship and removing their extra constitutional powers. That said, all of those steps in that process should, if things are working correctly, be accountable to the people in some way. Now, I don't know if the people in Canada are putting pressure on their representatives to stand up for the people of Canada. But Canada seems to be significantly more toward the left end of the spectrum than the United States is, or at least that's what we're told. So it will be interesting to see how this progresses. Now, I meant to put this in the show yesterday. I'm going to play it for you now. What you're about to hear is a member of the Canadian Parliament asking on behalf of one of his constituents what the effect of the World Economic Forum's influence is on the Canadian Parliament and what happens in the Parliament should be, in a saner world, really shocking.
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Kestiani Kalatek, questions and comments. Uh, the Honourable Member for Oshawa. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and I listened to my colleague's speech. I had a constituent that wanted me to ask a question about outside interference to our democracy. Klaus Schwab is the head of the World Economic Forum, and he bragged how his subversive WWF World Economic Forum has, quoted, infiltrated governments around the world. He said that his organization had penetrated more than half of Canada's cabinet. And I was wondering, in the interest of transparency, could the member please name which cabinet ministers are on board with the WEF's agenda? My concern is the deputy. Uh, order, order, order. I, I know he was. I know that uh, the member was in a, a really good, good question there, but the 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 audio is really, really bad, and the video is really, really bad as well. Um, and I and I and I apologize. I don't know if if the member. Okay, uh, let's let's uh, let's try again. The honourable the, the, the honourable member for Timmins James Bay. Mr. Speaker, that member was promoting open disinformation. That's not debate. We have to call out disinformation. Uh, we'll get into debate again. Uh, the Honourable Member, uh, questions and comments, the Honourable Member for Lambton, Ken Middlesex. So did you guys hear how really, really bad that audio was? It didn't sound really, really bad to me. It sounded crystal clear. And so I'm wondering how, I don't know if that's the speaker or the parliamentarian, how it sounded to him, but to me, and I think probably to you, that sounded crystal clear. That sounded like he had just asked how many of the cabinet ministers were under the control of the World Economic Forum. And some communists stood up to say that that's a conspiracy theory. It's misinformation. It's not debate. You are not allowed to talk about the World Economic Forum in the Canadian Parliament. Isn't that incredible? Even though the prime minister and the deputy prime minister are both young global leaders in the World Economic Forum, executing the World Economic Forum agenda. And I think I've played the clip of Klaus Schwab talking about how he has taken over different governments around the world. But if not, or even if so, here it is. And the man he's talking to is David Gergen, who is an American media figure. It's always nice when Americans are happy to go abroad and help the global communists. That's how you know the mainstream media is extremely trustworthy. And I have to say, um, when I mention our names like Mrs. Merkel, um, even uh, Vladimir Putin and so on, they all have been young global leaders of the World Economic Forum. Mm -hmm. But... Um, what we are very proud of now is the young generation like uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, um, President of, of uh, Argentina and so on, that we penetrate the cabinets. So yesterday I was at a, rece at a reception for Prime Minister Trudeau and I know that half of this cabinet or even more half of, uh, half of this cabinet are for our actually young global leaders of the world economic forum. And that's true in Argentina too. Wow. Yeah. Sorry. That's true in Argentina as well. It's true in Argentina and uh, it's true in France now. Mm -hmm. I'm here with the president, with a young global leader. But what is important for me. 
And apologies for the awful microphone sound in there. I think that that is actually David Gergen's microphone rubbing against his suit or something. But Klaus Schwab is making the point that the World Economic Forum, they actively penetrate, his word, the cabinets of these world governments and bring them into the World Economic Forum's program. The World Economic Forum's program is global communism. If you don't believe me, read Klaus Schwab's COVID-19, The Great Reset, or go to my info stream on Telegram, t.me slash I'm your moderator, and go into the info stream, use the little search feature, and type in Klaus Schwab and go back to the beginning of August 2021, and you'll find a bunch of posts where I have screenshotted parts of COVID-19, the Great Reset, and tried to explain them or react to them or talk about how they fit in to the overall global communist order. And if you're having a hard time finding them, just type in Nazi commie Klaus Schwab. Hey, I do what I do. But the important thing is to understand that the World Economic Forum does have an agenda. And year after year, People who are in politics and business from around the world meet in Davos so they can all get on the same page about that agenda. And that agenda, as capitalist as they make it sound, as free and loving and happy as they make it sound, that agenda is just simply global communism. You will own nothing and be happy. And if you own nothing, then who owns all the stuff? (laughs) Well, that's them. And they'll also be happy. But you are just being advertised a future of happiness. You are not going to actually experience a future of happiness. You will experience a future of you wearing borrowed clothes in a borrowed little box of a home with screens and bugs to eat. But don't worry, you'll get to spend most of your time in the metaverse, except when you have to come out and get shots with whatever is in the shots and eat the food with whatever's in the food. But you have to understand that the experts determined that this is what the best future for all of humanity is, and particularly for you, because you're not in the club. And hey, rich people who think they're in the club. You're not in the club either. But I'm sure the money will help you stave off your own downfall for a little while longer than everyone else. I mean, unless, of course, you say the wrong thing or associate with the wrong people, in which case they are going to cut off your access to all that money you've earned throughout your lives. But hey, you too can own nothing and be happy. And just so we're all on the same page about what the World Economic Forum has planned, well, this is Jeremy Jurgens, the managing director of the World Economic Forum on July 8th, 2020. And oh, by the way, he is also the head of the World Economic Forum's Center for the Fourth Industrial Revolution. And just to be clear, the Fourth Industrial Revolution is the one where humans aren't necessary in industry anymore. 
and they can just have AI and robots produce almost all the things they need and deliver it to them. But you didn't want that job anyway, so just sit down, have a nice meal, enjoy the crickets. Another crisis, uh, it will be more significant. And, you know, we need to actually start preparing for that now. When we do see this next crisis, it will be faster than what we've seen with COVID. Uh, the exponential growth rate will climb, uh, be much steeper. Uh, the impact will be greater. And as a result, the economic and social uh, implications will be even more significant. Even more significant. What is this next crisis that we just heard Jeremy Jurgens, Harvard-educated managing director of the World Economic Forum, describing? Well, now let's hear from Klaus Schwab himself. We all know, but still pay insufficient attention to the frightening scenario of a comprehensive cyber attack, which would bring to a complete halt to the power supply, transportation, hospital services, our society as a whole. The COVID-19 crisis would be seen in this respect as a small disturbance in comparison to a major cyber attack to use the COVID-19 crisis as a timely opportunity to reflect on the lessons the cybersecurity community can draw and improve our preparedness for a potential cyber pandemic. And that video was taken from Ice Age Farmer. So I have to imagine that that was him giving that little bit of commentary there in the middle. But Klaus Schwab, you gotta understand, is a real guy. And he has real politicians in governments all around the world that are helping to achieve his goals. In fact, one of his goals is called Build Back Better. You know, the Joe Biden agenda, Joe Biden's signature piece of legislation, as the communist propaganda state media told you. Well, no, that's Klaus Schwab's agenda and other countries around the world were following it. I've said this many times, but if you're listening for the first time, I would advise you to go to YouTube or some other video platform and type in Build Back Better compilation and you will hear leaders all around the world. Tony Blair, Boris Johnson, Jacinda Ardern, Justin Trudeau, all the American communists like Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama and John Kerry. All of them are suggesting build back better. This is what we need to do. Our society was crushed by COVID-19, which we, you know, created and then controlled. But now we have to build back better because our societies were crushed by us. But that's only phase one. They still have that hemorrhagic fever thing going on in China. We're days away from finding out whether or not they have attempted to seed that to the rest of the world through the participation in the Beijing Olympics, which thank goodness no one really watched. And then we have a cyber pandemic. That's what they're saying. That's what they're calling it. Why are they calling it a cyber pandemic? And 
what kind of background information would suggest that a cyber attack could be like a pandemic? Unless, of course, they're designing a cyber attack to be like a pandemic. And it turns out that's exactly what they're doing. So, hey, the World Economic Forum, that's where we get all of the politicians that communists on Instagram love to identify with. Oh, Emmanuel Macron, he's so cultured. I want to be just like him. I want to be just like Justin Castro. And I know, I know, you're totally awake. You want to be like Dan Crenshaw and Tulsi Gabbard, also of the World Economic Forum. Hey, sorry. And I know what you're thinking. Those people on Instagram who love Justin Trudeau and Barack Obama are not communists. They're just celebrities. And to that, I'd say, hey, I know a lot of celebrities and pretty much all of them are communists. They don't know anything. And they don't really care about anything. The one thing they do care about is whether or not they are perceived of as caring about lots of things. So they will constantly pretend to care about all sorts of things that they don't know anything about. And they get really good positive response from doing so especially on manipulated legacy social media platforms that are controlled by people involved with the World Economic Forum, like Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey and Sundar Pichai from Google. They're all aligned with the same agenda. The celebrities post the things the agenda wants them to post. They get such positive feedback from bots and some real people on their social media platforms. Once they get enough of that good feedback, once they have proved they are totally committed to the agenda of the global communist state, well, then they start getting endorsement deals so they can get paid to post the propaganda of the global communist state. And often the money that pays them is taxpayer money that gets allotted for marketing for public service announcements From our governments, particularly in the COVID relief packages, they have to have enough money to have awareness campaigns about how safe and effective the vaccines are, even though the vaccines aren't vaccines and they aren't safe and effective. But who cares? I'm just a conspiracy theorist. And you probably think, yeah, okay. well, Canada may have fallen to the World Economic Forum and the global communist agenda, but this here is America. And we would never stand for the fascism in our streets that we are seeing from the Canadian government's use of extra constitutional power and state violence against its own citizenry. We would never stand for that here, except it turns out we totally would. This is from the Post Millennial Today. The headline, Democrats overwhelmingly approve of Trudeau's crackdown on freedom protesters and freezing of bank accounts. A recent poll has revealed that a majority of American Democrats approve of the Canadian prime minister's crackdown on the freedom protesters in Ottawa after he invoked the Emergencies Act last week. In a poll conducted by the Trafalgar Group, and that's Robert Cahaley, a very good pollster, and Convention of States Action, obtained by the Daily Wire, it revealed that 55% of likely general election voters overall disapprove of Trudeau's handling of the protesters in Ottawa and beyond. 
35% overall approved of Trudeau's crackdown, while 10% said they were unaware of what's happening to the U.S.'s northern neighbor. And really, you can add the 10 to that 35 and make it 45. And then you just subtract out of that all of the people that really are amoral, malicious communists, and you'll have the actual number of people who have no idea what's going on. Because that 35% that approves of the fascism in Canada right now, many of them also have no idea what's going on. But they can recite everything that Don Lemon said last night. Looking at Democrat likely voters alone, 65% said they favored Trudeau's crackdown on the protesters, and 17% said they disapproved. Republicans, on the other hand, more strongly disapproved of Trudeau's heavy-handed tactics, with 87% saying they disapprove and just 8% approving. And among the unaffiliated, 74% disapprove. And there's a few paragraphs left in the article. You can go visit it if you like. So 65% of people who are still deranged enough to identify with the Democrat Communist Party. 65% of them think that it is good. They approve of what Justin Trudeau is doing. These are the very same people who have tried to exert their power against their fellow citizens for the last two years. These are the people telling you to mask up. These are the people telling you to get your vaccine. These are the people telling you not to complain about any of the COVID restrictions, no matter how much they ruin your own personal life. And no matter how little the chances are that COVID could actually kill you. They are the people who were posting about how important essential workers were for the first year of the very deadly pandemic and now think that truckers are racists and white nationalists whose freedom, whose concept of freedom is rooted in white supremacy. They are just fine with the state using violence against peaceful protesters because they don't agree with what the protesters are protesting. Do they know anything about them? No. Do they know anything about the issues? No. But they do know that the truckers are on the other side. Therefore, they're evil and bad because it couldn't be them. It couldn't be the communists who are evil and bad. Why all they do is care about everyone else. They care about everyone else so much. It actually circles all the way back around to being completely selfish. And it's strange, isn't it, that those are the very same people who make everything about race. And after making everything about race all the time, they designate the other group of people as the ones who are actually the racists. And therefore, the communists can't be actually Nazis when they are doing all this Nazi shit around the world. It can't be them because they're the anti-racists. Turns out. The old switcheroo is still at work for all of these people. And Justin Trudeau is using the switcheroo up in Canada right now. He's saying, oh, wow, turns out a lot of people really don't like when we're doing all this Nazi shit. They don't like when we have police officers out there in riot gear and face masks and helmets so they can't be identified and their name tags are covered. They're wearing uniforms that no one's ever seen before. 
totally unmarked. People don't seem to like when we're doing all this Nazi shit. I guess the solution is to call everybody else Nazis. That's the switcheroo. In America, Democrats, the party of the Confederacy, of the KKK, of Jim Crow, and of urban degradation, they realized that they couldn't continue to be seen as racists. So rather than ceasing all the racist bullshit they do, they decided to call everybody else racist. Same thing Justin Trudeau's doing. It just happens to be about, you know, Nazism and fascism. But it's funny, isn't it, that they don't do that about communism? They haven't tried to call everybody else communists. Instead, they've actually tried to make communism more palatable. First, by calling it socialism and promoting that and making sweet old Bernie the face of socialism, as if Bernie hasn't been a communist for 60 years. And they have an incredible number of communists and the children of communists in the Congress, in the Senate. They don't announce they're communists. They just go to events like the 100th anniversary of the Communist Party of the United States of America, as Richard Blumenthal did. And then when he gets called out on it, he'll just say, oh, I didn't know that's what it was. And he kind of sounds like that, too. And then the media will be like, yeah, he just didn't know. Turns out the uh, the sign on the door that said, happy anniversary, Communist Party of America. He he didn't see that. He went in the back. But hey, you got to remember, I'm crazy. I'm a conspiracy theorist. I should have never called anyone a communist, even though there's so much communism everywhere. It was still rude of me to say it. And that's the real point. As long as it's rude for me to call them communists, then it's not rude or bad for them to be communists. It's only rude if I say it, because that's just their personal choice to follow communism. And who am I to judge? Right? That's the communist utopia. Nobody can judge somebody else's behavior unless that behavior is against the communist state. And then you can judge them all day long. You can bully them and slander them and censor them till the cows come home. And even if they don't do anything wrong, if they just associate with or seem like people who would do something wrong, then the best thing to do is immediately start calling them racist and sexist and homophobic and transphobic and blah, 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 blah. Now, changing subjects without a segue. Headlines making news this morning. Several new studies say it could be months or even years before most people need an additional COVID booster shot. Studies suggest three doses of the vaccine, in some cases two, could offer protection from serious illness. One study found that the antibodies produced from three vaccine shots should protect most people from new variants, even those that are significantly different from the original virus. Health experts say that some people over 65 or at risk of illness may benefit from a fourth vaccine dose. But federal health officials say they are not planning to recommend a fourth dose 
anytime soon. Meanwhile, a dramatic drop in hospitalizations and a decline in COVID infections could lead the CDC to roll back national masking guidance this week. In states like California and New York, there is pressure to remove masks in schools despite low vaccination rates among children. NBC News correspondent Miguel Almaguer has the details. It's not just the dramatic drop in hospitalizations, but the sharp decline in infections down 64% that could help pave the way for the CDC to roll back national masking guidance this week. While it's unclear if there'll be any impact on airplanes and public transit, like the subway... In states like New York and California, there is pressure to unmask in the classroom, despite low vaccination rates for children and the CDC's guidance to keep them. We will be announcing a specific date, uh, that date with destiny. The masks will come off. With the CDC already under scrutiny, the New York Times says the agency isn't publishing large portions of data it's collecting, like the effectiveness of boosters for younger Americans and signs of the virus in wastewater. The agency telling the paper some raw data could be misinterpreted. The CDC is obligated to provide us with excellent data. I think if they have preliminary data that are not yet internally consistent or robust or validated, they are under no obligation to provide those data, which would only be confusing. As our nation remains eager for a new normal, several new studies show three doses of a COVID vaccine or even two could offer longer protection from serious illness and death. Whether to get a booster or not is going to become more of an option with the exception of very specific settings or occupations. I think for most people, it'll really be about their own sense of risk. An evolving pandemic as our future begins to resemble our past. Now, that right there sounds to me like the full and complete collapse of the COVID narrative. And you should absolutely check out what Naomi Wolf and Steve Bannon talked about on the war room this morning. I posted some of it in the info stream. They played that clip at the beginning of a segment and Naomi Wolf just absolutely went off about it. It was brilliant. But I want to talk about something that they did not talk about, and that is the point we're at in this narrative, okay? So Mika Brzezinski is saying that their new data suggests that booster shots might not be necessary, that the first shot and the second shot or the first two shots or the first three shots, but probably not four shots, at least not yet, and probably not anytime soon. They provide enough protection against serious illness and death. So trust, trust us. You know, they didn't give you the data. In fact, the New York Times reported that they've been actually hiding the data, particularly for people from 18 to 49 years old, which is, you know, most of the working age population in the United States. They didn't provide any of that data, but trust us, the vaccines are very safe and very effective. Yes, we're not providing you the data about how unsafe the vaccines are either, because that would make you have vaccine hesitancy and we can't risk that or afford it. So we're not going to do that. And, you know, if people find out that some of this was premised on fraud, we might lose our liability and then everybody would actually be able to sue us for all of this unbelievable damage we've caused. 
But still, trust us, the vaccines are very safe and very effective. And the way you can know this is that the doses you've already got before now, they provide significant protection against serious illness and death, except what they're leaving out and what they did not discuss on the war room is that the Omicron variant does not cause serious illness or death, except in the vaccinated or in the same group of people that everything causes serious illness and death for. And that is the morbidly obese, the elderly, and people with multiple health complications who are in relatively poor health. So if you were to be the pharmaceutical companies and the governments who had said that the vaccine was a vaccine and that the vaccine was very safe and very effective, and then it turned out that it wasn't so very safe or very effective, it didn't prevent transmission or infection or serious illness or death, as they have also admitted over time. And the information and the data to back up all of that is actually coming out and will be full public knowledge soon. And it also turns out, sadly, according to Bill Gates, that pretty much everybody is now immune from Omicron. And you also knew that Omicron couldn't really cause serious illness or death. Well, how would you respond in that situation? And I'm going to suggest to you that they would respond exactly like that because they know that Omicron can't cause serious illness or death. So it turns out that everyone is already automatically protected from serious illness or death, just like they are from the common cold. But if you had this confluence of events, you might be well advised to avoid future legal liability, you might be well advised to tell people that it's the vaccines that are providing all of this protection. And they talk about how cases have dropped dramatically. Well, that's because everybody got Omicron and now it's gone. So what part of COVID still remains? And it turns out no one can actually tell us. The Omicron variant was announced three months ago, and it was around longer than that. And we've had the waves everywhere, the waves, the surge, the Omicron surge. We're just surfing that wave. But now we're standing on the sand and the wave is all gone, just mixed in with all of the other waves in the happy little ocean. So what would you do after the entire narrative has collapsed and the underlying issue that requires the narrative has disappeared? Well, I guess you would probably try to take credit for it. You would say that your solutions solved the problem. And now you're not going to get seriously ill or die from COVID. You know, mostly because COVID doesn't do that anymore, but also, but also because you took the right amount of doses, whether it was one or two or three or maybe four somewhere down the line, you took the right amount. Don't get any more doses. All good. You already have this incredible protection. So you should be very, very happy with your decision to participate in a medical experiment. And how about Gavin Newsom's fateful day of destiny that's finally arriving, the day where the masks can finally come off, even though Gavin has never worn one except for publicity opportunities, but even sometimes not then, he just forgets. He forgets at his friend's birthday parties. He forgets at the Super Bowl. 
He forgets in all of the places you're not ever allowed to go because you just can't afford it and don't have the access. You want to go to French Laundry? Sorry, you can't. But Gavin can. And when Gavin goes, he doesn't have to wear a mask anyway. But but now now the science has evolved. The science has evolved so much that the mask that never worked. Now we don't need it. It doesn't provide any help, but it turns out we don't need any help anymore anyway. So take the mask off, but not you service industry people. And sure, they're not going to mandate them anymore, but they will enforce them socially with shame and exclusion because they're the party of inclusion and inclusion is never safe. If you let in all of the no, no people, that's not the point of inclusion. The point of inclusion is making it only the yes, yes people. And the communist propaganda rag, the Atlantic, you know, the very smart elitist communist propaganda rag. Well, they have one of the best articles ever and certainly one of the best headlines ever. Here it is. This is by Rachel Gutman. Mask mandates are illogical. So what? They only need to align with the community's goals. This is from Sunday. When the mayor of Washington, D.C. announced changes to the city's mask mandate last week, spit hit the fan. Oh, I get it. Spit. Yeah, you didn't want to say shit. I, it's ha, you're clever. As of March 1st, district residents will need to cover up in order to attend school, go to a library, or ride in a taxi. But gyms, sports arenas, concert venues, and houses of worship, you know, all the places where people like to breathe hard or sing and shout in close proximity, will be facial free-for-alls. Imagine having to go on a date with this woman. And now she's going to pull an AOC and be like, yeah, well, you're just mad because you can't date me. Well, Rachel, I have no idea what you look like, but I can imagine that I would know immediately I would never, ever want to date you. It's because you're a commie beyond anything else. And if you're a writer for The Atlantic, the chances of you being physically attractive are almost nil. If the goal of mask policies is to reduce transmission of the coronavirus as much as possible, then D.C.'s new rules are difficult to reason out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the stupid science. Why should children, who are generally at low risk of severe disease, have to mask while sitting quietly in class when their more vulnerable elders can sing unmasked in church? It seems arbitrary, inconsistent, absurd. Yeah, hey, idiot. All of the regulations for the entire time have been arbitrary, inconsistent, and absurd if you are looking at them in relation to saving lives and preserving public health. If, on the other hand, you look at them as steps toward the implementation of the global communist Great Reset agenda, you instantly find that they are actually not arbitrary at all. They are not inconsistent at all, and they are not absurd. They are exactly the plan. And this is the thing that the communist and the child brain still do not really wrap their heads around. It was never about saving lives. It was never about public health. If it was about either of those things, 
They wouldn't have been hiding the data and censoring people. They would have provided all the information to everyone so that we could all figure out how to best protect ourselves and our communities. They wouldn't have told us there are two and only two randomized controlled trials in the entire world about masking, and neither of them show a significant benefit to masking. There are a few studies that say there's a benefit, but those aren't even peer-reviewed. They're just the CDC tossing out info that they won't share, can't share the underlying data. Just trust us, masks work. Of course, nowhere in history had masks ever worked to prevent the spread of a virus. But who cares? That's not the point. And you actually can surmise and know what their intentions are simply based on how they act and how they're always wrong. On that Majid Nawad podcast the other day, Joe Rogan kept saying, oh, well, yeah, but, you know, they were just trying to do their best and they were just figuring it out as they went along. Like, you can't say that they were like doing this on purpose. And maybe he was just playing devil's advocate or maybe he's really dumb enough to believe that. But if you're wrong all the time, then you need to have your power taken away. And if the mainstream media and social media and the censorship regime that exists to protect them are all telling you that those people actually aren't getting it wrong at all and still must be trusted, it's pretty easy to see what the overall goal is. Back to the article, and she was just commenting on how arbitrary, inconsistent, and absurd the DC policy is. Then again, so does just about every community mask mandate. If the rules don't apply equally in different settings, they're unfair. If they do, they're ridiculous. Good luck complying in a restaurant, bar, or airport food court. Pointing out the logical flaws in mask mandates is easy. Fixing them is hard and important. Cases may be trending down in nearly every part of the United States, but this surge will almost certainly not be our last, just as Omicron will almost certainly not be the last variant to infect the world. When infection rates begin to rise again, local and state governments can try to implement mask policies that actually make sense to the people being ordered around. Take my city, Baltimore, as an example. Everyone older than two must wear a mask. Quote, indoors at any location other than a private home, end quote, including at food service establishments. Yet indoor dining, which is associated with increasing COVID-19 transmission rates, has been allowed for more than a year and diners do not need to be vaccinated. Oh, no. Hey, where are the outbreaks? If the situation is dangerous, that situation you're describing eating in a restaurant, if that's dangerous, where are the outbreaks? And you have to love the recycling of two-year-old bunk narratives and the soft language with which she communicates them. Indoor dining, which is associated with increasing transmission rates. Okay, Rachel. Performers are allowed to sing, speak, and play the oboe, sans mask, Despite the fact that maskless music has been known to be a potent source of contagion since the early days of the pandemic. Where, Rachel, you are making a scientific claim about reality. Where is your proof? I know you got cases. 
You got articles that told you, ooh, there was an outbreak in church. People went to church and they sang and then eight people from the church tested positive. Run for the hills! But where is your data, Rachel? I frequently walk past restaurants with mask required for entry signs taped to the front door and their windows fogged up from the breath of maskless patrons. <laughs> you got that? The mask keeps all your breath inside. Your breath cannot escape through a mask unless you go outside and it's cold and you're breathing and you can see your breath escaping everywhere. And you might understand when you see that, that your breath escapes everywhere all the time. So, hey, Rachel, don't you think what might be fogging those windows is just natural body heat, you know, like all winters ever? And it's not that breath gets out if you're not wearing a mask. This is an adult woman who writes for an outlet that is thought to be elite. This is how stupid our elites actually are. For real, they are the dumbest people on earth. They got power from their parents because of their parents' money and connections and bloodlines, or they gained power throughout their own lives through corruption and compromise. There is no other kind of elite, every single elite, every single one, but back to Rachel's genius and in spaces where masks are both required and feasible, say pharmacies and grocery stores, hardly anyone is enforcing their use. It all feels rather performative and silly. Why have a mandate if it can be so easily ignored? The public sees right through that. And I think that's led to a lot of backlash. Joseph Allen, the director of Harvard's Harvard's Healthy Buildings program, told me, oh, healthy buildings. Do buildings have health? Healthy buildings. Oh, we like to have healthy buildings. Hey, don't worry, guys. This is a healthy building. That means elites are allowed in. You don't have to wear masks because the building itself is healthy. The building is just going to flush that right out of you, that COVID. It can't get anywhere near you. To Allen, mask mandates, contradictions, and compliance failures are signs that the U.S. should stop trying so hard to influence human behavior and start focusing on improving ventilation and filtration in buildings, thus making them more healthy. Masking, because it's obviously visible and has become unavoidably politicized, is the pandemic mitigation strategy that's easiest for most people to notice, which might explain why it's received so much attention from the public and the media. Well, also because it doesn't do anything and it's absolutely terrible and dehumanizing. But you already know that, Rachel, you just ignore it. But structural improvements can operate in the background, protecting people without making them feel inconvenienced. One common, though not definitely proven argument against mask mandates is that they don't actually change people's behavior. People who would have masked anyway cover up and people who don't want to mask wear theirs badly or ignore the rules. Well, yes, correct, because they are autonomous human beings and they don't need to listen to rules that don't make any sense. 
Anyone who has been in any sort of public location at any time during the pandemic recognizes that mask mandates are not followed consistently, says David Dowdy, an epidemiologist at the John Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. But even disregarded mandates could affect people in other helpful ways. From my perspective, the main benefit is not so much the masking itself, but the message to society that this wave is not yet over, Dowdy told me. Johns Hopkins Bloomberg. That man is an epidemiologist. You know, one of the givers of science, one of the people we must trust and obey. And he, like the rest of the elites, believe the most important part of masking is the messaging. You are modeling good behavior for all the children out there, right? You have to be a good boy so that everybody else will see your shining example and they'll be a good boy too. Except here's the thing, Kami, that only works on children because adults don't need behavior modeled for them. It will be a sad, sad day for Hollywood influencers when they finally realize that no one really cares about what they're doing. A mask mandate may not magically swaddle the faces of everyone in its jurisdiction, but it could remind already enthusiastic maskers to avoid large gatherings or lead non-maskers to give the people around them a little more space. Hey, also not scientific. Also, don't care. It's not your space just because you have a mask on, Kami. Mask mandates are easier to enforce in highly controlled environments such as schools. You got that? They enforce them on the school children for messaging, and they admit that the mask is primarily for messaging. They enforce it the harshest in the highly controlled areas. What are the highly controlled areas? Schools where adults can enforce their will upon children. These are our elites. A particular state's or city's values and political makeup matter for compliance too. If it's a community in which most people are already going to mask and you just need to convince a few more, in that case, a mandate actually might be helpful, says Tara Kirksell, a senior scholar at the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. Oh, the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. Well, they're the ones who produced in 2017 the document called SPARS Pandemic 2025 through 2028. You can also find that in the info stream on Telegram, t.me slash I'm your moderator. I suggest you just taking 20 minutes to read the first 10 pages of it. You will find it reads like a novel and you will find that that novel describes exactly how the culture has tried to enforce all of the COVID pandemic upon the citizenry throughout the entire very deadly pandemic. And then you might, if you're smart, think, hey. This is kind of odd. Why did they plan out all of this stuff three years before the pandemic and schedule it for three years after the pandemic ended? And then if you're a child brain, you'll think, oh, it's because it's something totally different and doesn't have anything to do with COVID. And then you'll ignore it and go right back to your safe space. And you should probably put on a mask because the mask can prevent you from having those bad thoughts that you might have been wrong this whole time, too. 
You might have been wrong the whole time and everything you did and said and all the bullying and shaming and slandering and censoring, it might have all been for nothing. And it could be the case that you're about to be exposed for all of that. And people might take all of that into account and understand that it actually is part of who you are. And then, hey, man, it's going to be a lot harder to bully and censor. But that's all right. That's all right. You'll just escape to that home in the woods in the red state outside the small town where everything is safe and no one will know where you are. You're just going to take a little break from social media. Oh, I just need a little break from social media, maybe a month or two months. Once all this dies down, there's just so much negativity and I don't need it in my life. And you'll protect yourself. You'll put on a little eye mask so you can no longer see social media and it can no longer contaminate you with all the thoughts of the no-no people. It'll be totally safe there. Such communities are widespread. About two-thirds of Americans have consistently supported the idea of a state or local mask mandate since August when a bi-monthly Axios Ipsos poll first started asking the question. And I guess we can just trust those numbers. The other 30-something percent of the American public likely includes people who have lost faith in mask mandates that don't seem to make sense. (laughs) Or there are people that just know masks don't work. The way for decision makers to earn back their trust, Kirk Sell told me, is by listening to each community, taking their needs seriously and tailoring policies to fit them. You got that? So you listen to the community and then figure out best how to make the mask mandate apply to them. And if they all say they don't want mask mandates and, hey, get those disgusting masks off my child's face in school, well, then you just have the police escort them out of the school board meeting. A town whose top priorities are keeping schools open and local business afloat could mandate masks and testing in schools, but allow adults to go mask free in bars, which students can avoid. This person is writing this article trying to detail how mask policies could be more consistent. Okay, she's already said that bars are very, very dangerous if you don't have a mask. Now she's saying that bars could be okay to be unmasked because there aren't children there. As if the people at bars will not later be around children or God forbid, somebody's grandparents. This has been their entire argument the entire time is that you might get coronavirus somewhere. So you have to protect yourself everywhere. And if you're not worried about getting coronavirus yourself or If you've already had it and are now immune, you need to mask up anyway, just because if you are not masked, then other people might not be masked. And then the children might get sick and the grandmothers might get sick and everybody might die. This writer doesn't even understand the points of her own article. It is unreal. A town that wants to avoid straining its hospitals (laughs) might flatten the curve by enforcing mask requirements in high capacity settings, such as concert halls and sports arenas. If rules are going to be applied unevenly with mask mandates in some locations, but not others, the tightest restrictions 
should apply in buildings such as grocery stores, workplaces, post offices, and schools, says Ann Sosin, a public health expert at Dartmouth College. These are not necessarily the places where the virus is most likely to spread, but elderly and immunocompromised people may not be able to avoid them as easily as they could a bar or a hockey game. Consistency, guys. It's all about consistency. And to be consistent, you have to understand that sometimes the mask mandate should be in the places where the people are easiest to control, like the children. Sometimes the mask mandates should be in the places that are the hardest to control, like bars, because there are no children. Sometimes the mask mandate should be enforced where lots of people gather, like sporting events or concerts. But sometimes... Masks should be enforced where people don't gather that much and the virus doesn't really spread like grocery stores. But there are also places where older and immunocompromised people have to go. Don't you understand? It's all about consistency. And a final quote to top off this beautiful Beautiful article. Oh, and underneath this, it says Rachel Gutman is a senior associate editor at The Atlantic. Senior and editor should be nowhere close to her name ever again. I think that people have this expectation that everything has to be perfect as far as how the logic works together, Kirk Sell said. But no mandate is ever going to be perfectly consistent, and that's okay. Mask policies can still make sense so long as they serve a community's shared goals. That is John Hopkins Center for Health Security, senior scholar Tara Kirk Sell. The most important thing about the mandate is not whether or not it makes sense or is logical or works. There's not one argument in this article that says masks do anything because they don't. There is no proof anywhere in the world. We have been down this road for two years. If masks work, why didn't they? That is the question to ask. If masks work, why didn't they? And then let somebody tell you how exactly they did. And then you can be the fact guy and say, oh, really? Where's your source? Where's your source? Where's your source? And they will give you, at most, two sources that do not support their case anyway, because those are the only sources available to them. But be sure not to act like a communist and get mad and run away screaming and calling the other person a racist. That's not how we handle things. All we have to say is, hey, Kami, you got no sources. It's time to stop. But let's go through this last paragraph one more time just so we can see what the real motivation is for these people. I think that people have this expectation that everything has to be perfect as far as how the logic works together. But no mandate is ever going to be perfectly consistent, and that's okay. Mask policies can still make sense so long as they serve a community's shared goals. Community. The community must have goals, right? And how are we going to decide? How are we going to determine what the community's goals are? Well, you could say we just want to have a straight democratic opinion here, but they're not going to do that because they can't actually measure that. So instead, they will 
maybe commission a poll, but probably not even do that. They will go ahead instead and listen to the most loud, angry, and extreme members of the community, which are always the communists who are always trying to appropriate someone else's victimhood and make it their own. They want to paint themselves as a victim in every situation so that their victimhood must be catered to. Otherwise, you are mean. You have to cater to the victim. Otherwise, you're mean. And if someone claims they are a victim, you're mean to argue that they're not. And then you appeal to expertise, whether or not it's legitimate expertise doesn't matter. And they are straight up telling you that whether or not it is logical doesn't matter. They don't have the data to support their agenda, which is why they don't use data to support their agenda. They just claim to have the science on their side. Then they claim that all of that is actually the community goal that represents everyone. And then they enforce policies on you that they admit do not make any sense and cannot actually accomplish the goals. Now, speaking of inconsistent policies implemented to achieve unrealistic goals, let's discuss the fake administration, Ukraine and Russia. And for some context to the following discussion, let's hear what CNN's Van Jones said to an undercover Project Veritas reporter. This just dropped. Hey, man. We met in Palm Springs a few years back. Uh, good you, man. You good? Yeah. How you been? What are you I'm doing? What, what What do you think is going to happen this week? I mean, with the whole Russia thing. The Russia thing is just a big nothing burger. Really? You don't think that... Uh... The Russia thing is a big nothing burger. There's nothing there you can do. That's CNN's Van Jones. Barack Obama's Van Jones. Communist Van Jones. So, oops, I guess. So yesterday I talked briefly about how Vladimir Putin was giving a speech to the nation about the whole Russia-Ukraine thing, and I watched it. It was nearly an hour long. I thought it was about 40 minutes, but it's nearly an hour. And he spent much of the time giving a history lesson about the history of that region. Joe Biden gave a speech to this nation today, it started an hour and 20 plus minutes late. Joe Biden spoke for nine minutes and did not take questions. He, of course, bumbled his way through the entire thing, but he called everything that Vladimir Putin said about the history of the region a revision of history. It was all just disinformation. He is just propagandizing the world because Joe Biden and the fake administration have apparently had the realization that people outside of Russia also had the ability to just hear Vladimir Putin uncensored. And I think it's very important to listen to world leaders when they're speaking uncensored to their people. We don't need the medium of the mainstream media telling us what Vladimir Putin said. We certainly don't need Joe Biden telling us what Vladimir Putin said. We can hear it for ourselves and we can judge for ourselves. But if you judge wrong, the central narrative will try to paint you as a Russian asset, which makes no sense. Or you're a purveyor or a repeater of Russian propaganda. And 
That is a very, very silly claim to make. What they want is for you not to listen to anything other than what they're saying. They're going to try to exact a price socially or otherwise on your decision to listen to anyone who's not them. But I think we're all pretty well past that. I know I am. Okay. I want to hear from world leaders and I want to try to understand what's going on myself because there is no way in hell I am listening to our mainstream media about anything to do with anything. They lie about everything. Van Jones just gave up the game. Certainly, Joe Biden should not be trusted at all. And you can't say, well, you're sticking up for Russia rather than America. No. I am sticking up for America by trying to know what the truth is about a foreign situation where our fake president is considering expending American blood and treasure to protect the borders of a country the global communists drew and who are not our allies. And to top that off, a country that is replete with corruption, particularly from Joe Biden, the military industrial complex, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. Okay. I don't need to listen to them about anything that is going on with Russia and Ukraine because they have lied about absolutely everything else. And does that make me a purveyor of Russian propaganda or somehow a Russian asset? No. Also, it is offensive that anyone would possibly question my patriotism while supporting a fraudulent election and a fake president. Okay. That is whose patriotism I question. And I question their patriotism rightly based on reality, not based on the fictions we're being told about a region across the globe that has had some kind of violent interaction in spurts for thousands of years. I'll not have my patriotism questioned by somebody who actually thinks that Joe Biden got 81 million real legal American votes and that COVID was a very deadly pandemic and that masks work and that lockdowns work and that vaccines are very safe and effective. These are the dumbest people on earth and where they're not dumb, they are lying and where they are lying, they are doing so for the ascension of the power of global communism and the global communist state and for their own personal power. So no, I'm not going to listen to that complaint at all. That said, you should still be cognizant of Vladimir Putin's history and not believe anything or everything he says either. It is all just context of the situation. It is different sides and different viewpoints about a situation. And hearing all the sides and viewpoints is what allows you to better understand the situation. So no, I will not listen to that complaint at all. And no, I'm not taking Vladimir Putin's claims at face value. But Putin's speech was long. It was serious. He did not have nice things to say about communists. I do enjoy that. And he announced that he would be recognizing the regions, the, uh, the Donbass, Donetsk and Luhansk as independent republics, that they are now separatist states moving away, no longer being associated with the country of Ukraine. 
And a lot of people are trying to claim that this is the Russian invasion that we've been expecting. Vladimir Putin has said that he will move Russian forces in to maintain peace in those regions. And that we are being told is an invasion. You could make an argument, I suppose, that this was all Vladimir Putin's grand strategy to invade Ukraine and steal their territory. And he's using the fact that the separatist regions have already declared their independence and sought uh, Russian support in lieu of an actual attack and the seizure of those lands. And on some level, that may be true. That is certainly a valid perspective on what he's doing. But if that is true and this is the invasion then why were we told that it would be a whole range of other things that weren't this why hasn't the media why hasn't the fake administration just come out and told us the entire time there are these two regions these regions are controlled by separatists who want to break away from ukraine and that this conflict has been going on since 2014 Where have we heard that? Anywhere? I haven't heard it from mainstream media at all. And why were we told that there would be false flags and that there would be extremely violent attacks and that there might be chemical attacks? We were told the picture that was painted for us was that Vladimir Putin was going to take his army and go in and battle Ukraine and steal these territories. But that is not at all what has happened. And if the American media and the fake president want us to believe that that actually is what happened, why didn't they give us the real scenario the entire time? They didn't. They have lied the entire time. They have warmongered the entire time. And they have tried to stifle all dissent the entire time. They are not to be believed. Here is the Democrat communist senator from Connecticut, Chris Murphy explaining with beautiful music what's happening in Russia and Ukraine. For all of you that don't know absolutely anything about this, which are Biden voters and people who might vote for a communist like Chris Murphy, here is the explanation of everything. Are you having a hard time following what's going on in Ukraine? Then this video is for you. If you watch the news these days, it can feel like Vladimir Putin is holding all the cards holding Ukraine and the West hostage. But that couldn't be further from the truth. Putin is actually operating from a position of severe weakness with a potentially disastrous invasion as his last resort. Let me tell you why. First, let's do some quick background. Ukraine used to be a Soviet republic, and for most of its post-Soviet independence, its leaders operated in close association with Russia. But then in 2013, something happened. The Ukrainian people realized that a political and economic dependence on Russia was a road to nowhere. So they rose up and they demanded closer ties with the European Union. Putin and his cronies in Ukraine, they panicked and they gunned down the protesters. Now that backfired big time. Putin's allies were run out of the country and the nation elected ardent pro-Europe and pro-US leadership. In response, Putin invaded Crimea and he invaded eastern Ukraine, but frankly, that just hardened Ukrainian people's anti-Russia sentiments. Still, Putin's desire to control Ukraine, it didn't go away. So now he's moved 
150,000 troops to Ukraine's border, and he's threatened a full-on invasion. Putin hoped that this threatened invasion, all of these troops on Ukraine's border, would upend Ukraine's government, collapse it, or maybe create tensions and fissures within NATO, weakening the alliance, or result in the West folding and agreeing to his demands. But none of that happened. In fact, the opposite happened. The Zelensky government didn't fall. The United States and the West rallied to support Ukraine's government. NATO and Europe came together, rallied to support Ukraine's sovereignty. And Putin's list of demands went nowhere. The West did not give in. Now, faced with this reality, Putin has only two ways out, back down, or proceed with an expensive, costly, and potentially disastrous invasion of the largest country in Europe. It's hard to fathom what the biggest land war in Europe since 1945 will look like, but it will likely be long and deadly. The Ukrainian people are not going to submit. They are going to fight back. And the sanctions from the United States and the rest of the world, they're going to be devastating. Nothing like the relatively mild sanctions Russia has endured so far. The combination of the cost of the war and the cost of the sanctions, they're going to threaten Putin's hold on power. And all for what? To force Ukraine back into Russia's orbit against Ukraine's wishes? A nation that used to rely on Russia willingly? All of this just to achieve pre-2013 status quo, but with thousands dead and a Russian economy in ruins? When you think of it that way, how is Putin holding all the cards? Don't you see? Putin is actually in the weak position. America and NATO and the allies, they're not being splintered and separated, no matter how many times Joe Biden begs the president of France to set up a meeting between him and Vladimir Putin. That's just the way things go when you have all the power. In 2013, something happened. Yeah, Barack Obama was forced to back down and give Crimea to Ukraine. It already worked when Barack Obama was there and Joe Biden was his vice president. He knows it's going to work this time, too. Communist Chris Murphy also just neglected to mention, as I was saying before, how the mainstream media just glosses over this all the time, that these regions actually don't want to be part of Ukraine. There may be people in those regions who still do, but that's for them to solve. It's certainly not for America to solve. And regardless, why isn't he telling us, right? He's supposed to be giving the whole broad view of the situation. That's what he is pretending to do. That's what the usefulness of this little video is in his mind, even though he covered up most of his talking with that music. Fix your levels, bro. But I want you to think back to yesterday when I was talking about the Black Knight in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. No matter how many parts they get sliced off, they are still acting like they're in full control. What they're doing is on display for the entire world. People can see it. People can see the weakness of Joe Biden, the stupidity of Kamala Harris. They can see that the NATO alliance, which Ukraine is not a part of, is not on the same page about anything. Even the Washington Post this morning 
ran a story by Ashley Palmer with the headline White House wrestles with whether Russia has, quote, invaded Ukraine. So the White House itself isn't sure whether or not this counts as an invasion, but they're going to call it one because they have to keep the warmongering going and they have to justify all these sanctions that are supposed to make it look like Joe Biden really has some power. He announced some bank sanctions against Russia. But once again, after lashing out, Putin is not backing down. He is escalating. There is no reason to believe that Joe Biden holds any cards in this situation. I can imagine they're going to try to stage something dramatic, maybe on multiple fronts, because he's supposed to go out a week from tonight and give a fake president state of the union and try to tell the country that he's actually not the worst president of all time. And I can't imagine that being effective because he can't get through an entire speech. I wonder how short his state of the union is going to be. It is going to be one of the most embarrassing things that has ever happened in the United States of America. Of that, we can be sure. But he is going to want to have some good news on this situation to make it look like he has done something. And he'll probably just brag about how harsh these sanctions are. But there was a really interesting piece of his speech today, his nine minute speech, and I'll play it for you. And Kamala Harris previewed it a couple of days ago when she was in Munich and talking about how there might be some cost to America and to Americans, probably in our energy prices. But here's Biden this afternoon. And now political provocation of recognizing sovereign Ukrainian territory as so-called independent republics in clear violation, again, of international law. President Putin has sought authorization from the Russian parliament to use military force outside of Russian territory. And this set the stage for further pretext of further provocations by Russia to try to justify further military action. None of us, none of us should be fooled. None of us will be fooled. There is no justification. Further Russian assault in Ukraine remains a severe threat in the days ahead. And if Russia proceeds, it is Russia and Russia alone that bears the responsibility. As we respond, my administration is using every tool at our disposal to protect American businesses and consumers from rising prices at the pump. As I said last week, defending freedom will have cost for us as well and here at home. We need to be honest about that. But as we will do, but as we do this, I'm going to take robust action to make sure the pain of our sanctions is targeted at the Russian economy, not ours. We're closely monitoring energy supplies for any disruption. We're executing a plan in coordination with major oil producing consumers and producers toward a collective investment to secure stability in global energy supplies. This will be a, this will blunt gas prices. I want to limit the pain to the American people are feeling at the gas pump. This is critical to me. Got that? So your energy costs are going to be driven up by the wag the dog effort that the global communists are staging in Russia and Ukraine. Your energy prices will go up. There is going to be some cost to the American people. That's what he's saying. And your energy prices are going to stay up because your energy prices have already been going up and because 
high energy prices are part of the global communist agenda. They don't want people to be able to move around freely. And they want to shift everything to electric vehicles because electric vehicles can just be shut off remotely whenever they feel like it. Are they going to cost more? Yeah. Are they going to add more pollution in the beginning to create the batteries and the electric cars in the first place? Also, yes. But is it going to convince people that the Green New Deal and the global communist agenda are the only ways? Well, yes. And that's the point. Joe Biden is not trying to limit energy costs on Americans. He's saying we want the harm to be on the Russians and not on Americans. Oh, really? Well, then why are you doing something totally unnecessary that does not aid any American interests and does actually harm Americans? One might begin to wonder if harming Americans is the goal because you do it so often. And so now, according to the central narrative, calling out Joe Biden for what he is actually doing and the problems he is creating in the country he is pretending to be serving as fake president. I am a Russian asset, a purveyor of Russian propaganda, which is almost as offensive as when they called us domestic terrorists for saying that the obviously an overwhelmingly fraudulent election was in fact fraudulent. You're a domestic terrorist. You're a Russian asset. You're a racist. You're a sexist. You're a homophobe. And it just goes and goes and goes. And why do they always use that tactic? Because there's no actual argument in favor of any of the stuff they're saying. And if you think that I am being too hard on them by saying that they actually have no argument in their favor, that I'm just simply not listening to them, well, then why don't you go ahead and you listen to them? Because I listen to them all the time and I still have not heard them make any argument about data or science or facts on the ground. They just say that things are going to happen because that is what they do. They write out the script for how everything will go, for how they can create and extract more power from the people and take it only for the communist state. And that has been their approach in everything. And I'm going to leave you with this. Last night, Ohio Senate candidate Josh Mandel was at a debate in a quote unquote black community. And one of the audience members tried to call him out and he was having absolutely none of it. And I'm not sure how I feel about Josh Mandel as the Senate candidate in Ohio. I think he has some good things. And I think I would probably support him over J.D. Vance and Jane Timken and whoever the other guy is, but I'm not 100% sold. I am, however, 100% sold on handling this situation like this. Lives matter as thugs. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Oh, hey, hey, you're not doing... Mr. Mandel. Uh, in your previous debate, you referred to Black Lives Matter as thugs. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And here you come in the black oh, community. Hey, hey, you're not doing that. Put them out. Please. 
You mean like no, put him out like no, with, a, no. with, a, with a bullet? Mr. Mandel. What do you mean, Mr. Mandel. What do you mean put him out? Mr. Mandel. Ask him to leave. Mr. Mandel. Oh, I thought this was America. Hey. I thought this was America. Hey. Hey, sister. Listen to me. Don't do that. I got this. I got this. Don't do that. They shouldn't have let him in. No, no, this is America. He can be here. Don't do that. Don't embarrass me. I'm not no, embarrassing. No, you don't don't but do to that. bring that white man no, in the black hey, community you, like that. You don't have to leave, man. I'm, 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 I'm finished. Okay. But please. don't you suck man. up to him. Listen. He's listen, in the black I'm not, community. I'm doing my job. And I'm He's calling my parents thugs. Ma'am. Make I'm, him I'm, answer I'm the, the moderator. I'm in charge. Yeah. I want you to sit down and be quiet. Let me tell you something, ma'am. Mr. Man, I put my life in the hands of young black guys. Mr. I had young black men put their life in my hand in the United Mr. States Mandel. Marine Corps and two tours in I'm Iraq. You to so don't stand sir. there and lecture me. Whether they were black or they were white Mr. or they were Hispanic or they were Asian, those are my brothers in the Marine Corps. So Mr. don't stand there and lecture me about race and color. Mr. We Mandel. put our lives in each other's Mr. hands. Mandel. Those are my brothers as Marines. Mr. Mandel, I'm the moderator over here. I'm asking you to pay attention to me. So I know the over-talking was a little difficult, I want to make sure that you understand what Josh Mandel said. He said, let me tell you something, ma'am. I put my life in the hands of those black guys. I know black men who put their lives in my hands. The United States Marine Corps in two tours in Iraq. So don't stand there and lecture me. Those men are my brothers, whether they are black or they were white or they were Hispanic or they were Asian. Those are my brothers in the Marine Corps. So don't stand there and lecture me about race and color. And he's exactly right. And that is how you should handle these situations. Stop allowing these people to back you down. And how racist is it? What that woman is doing? A political candidate for the Senate in Ohio should not be allowed to come have a debate in the black community because it's the black community. He's not allowed to make his case to black Ohioans. I think that's what they're called. In the black community, and she is imagining that she is speaking for all of the black community. She's black. They're in the black community. Therefore, she gets to speak for the entire community. And she did that so she could shame and slander and bully Josh Mandel into silence. And hey, that woman might be a nice person and not the malicious racist that she seems to be, but she has been shown and told by her culture, and I mean American modern popular culture, that that is a proper way for people to act. And it's about damn time that someone shut that sort of thing down in public right to someone's face. That is just atrocious racism. That was coming at Josh Mandel for no reason other than he said that Black Lives Matter was an organization of thugs. And I assume he's talking about Black Lives Matter, the organization, and not the idea that Black Lives Matter, because it would be senseless to call an idea thugs. Turns out Black Lives Matter and Antifa actually are just domestic terror organizations and Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation washes tens and hundreds of millions of dollars and puts them into Democrat campaigns and pays off people all around the country. And I think down the road, we're going to find out that they probably had something to do with ballot harvesting, too. And I called that in the summer of 2020. 
But we have to be at this point now where we will stand up for ourselves and speak truth in any situation. You speak truth because you know it's true. Every time you remain silent in the face of this communist bullshit, you are harming yourself and your nation in the long run. This stuff has to be stopped and it has to be stopped face to face. You are not allowed to say that about me, period. We can be nice. We can be polite and we can have manners, but doing all of that, silencing yourself and saying that you're just exercising manners in the face of that sort of personal affront, that's not manners. That's weakness. That's allowing malicious people and their attacks to do harm to you and harm to your country. If you are acting in good faith and speaking the truth as well as you know it, you have to do it. We don't have any more time for allowing the repetition of the slogans to control our society. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, download the Telegram Messenger app and go to t.me slash I'm your moderator. I'm on Gab, Getter, Rumble, and BitChute at I'm Your Moderator. You can find my writing at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com and the merch site is cancelcotour.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the show financially, there is a crypto wallet address in the episode description or go to kofi.com slash I'm Your Moderator. KO-FI.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you again soon out on the ring. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. It's high noon! In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. 
On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!